Well, it is the most wonderful time of the year, so the saying goes. And for many of us, it's also one of the busiest times of the year. It's rather ironic. For those who celebrate Christmas, we set aside this season every year to focus on Jesus' birth, to give extra time to contemplate and celebrate the coming of our Savior. And yet for many of us, the month of December is one of the busiest months of the year, sometimes with very little extra time and space for contemplation or celebration. There's the gift shopping, the decorating, the parties, the concerts, the Christmas cards and letters that we write and receive. There's the crafts. There's the hosting family from out of town. And even sometimes for some of us, it's uh, having to get through all of our favorite Christmas movies that we like to watch leading up to Christmas. It's all supposed to serve the celebration of Christ. And of course, so much of it sure can. But all bundled together all crammed into one month, it can distract us from any decent time to really ponder and pray and give praise to our God for this mystery and reality that God came in the flesh. I heard this week that there was a time during the COVID lockdown when we were you know, sheltering in place where one of the most Googled things was, why are the birds so loud? (laughs) And of course, it's not that the birds had gotten any louder since COVID hit the earth, but in our newfound stillness and quietness, it sure made it seem like they were louder. Well, in general, apart from government-enforced pandemic lockdowns, Most of us are not good at sitting still, at pondering, at contemplating, or even listening. And so in December, most of us find it uh, even extra bustling. And yet here we are this evening, sitting, perhaps finally sitting. We've been singing and praying, and hearing from God's word, a a moment for stillness, and transcendence, and quiet, undistracted contemplation. So however busy, and hurried, and harried, or even frustrating this month has been for you, We're all here together this evening to make the most of this, to take it all in, to give some time to ponder and treasure the things that the Bible gives us, the things that Mary and those around her heard and saw as they treasured and pondered. I read from Luke 2, the first 14 verses already, that gives us the birth of Jesus and the angelic announcement 
of the shepherds, to the shepherds. Let me now read on a bit more, starting with verse 15 of Luke 2. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, I have long been fascinated by the various responses to the news of Jesus' birth that we find, especially in Matthew and Luke's gospel account. Uh, On Sunday mornings as a church, we're going through the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. And we saw last week in Matthew 2 that there were these varied responses to Jesus' birth. Some were indifferent. Herod was furious and murderous. But the wise men sought Jesus out, found him, and worshipped him. Well, in Luke... In Luke 1 and 2, we have different characters and people than we find in Matthew 1 and 2. And they all have their own varied responses to the news that the Son of God had been born to Mary. You take Mary, for example. Mary, at first, when she heard this news from an angel, she was troubled, it says, and she tried to discern what it meant. And she asked the angel, how can this be? The shepherds, chapter 2, verse 9, which we read earlier, when they encountered the angel, they were at first filled with fear, it says. But then their fear was overcome when an angel explained that his visit to them was in order to announce, verse 11, the birth of the Savior, Christ the Lord. That moment, as all the angels celebrated in verse 14, was this, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It was after this, the angel sent the shepherds to the newborn Christ, to that family in Bethlehem, for them to see for themselves and for them to speak all that they had been told by the angel. And so the shepherds did. They saw the baby, And they spoke to those in the house that day, telling them what the angel had told them. The text says, verse 19, that some wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What a beautiful phrase. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I'm sure every mother, maybe every mother especially, to her first wiggling child set upon her lap has done something similar. Treasuring up all that's happening, pondering all that it means. 
Of course, for Mary, she not only had those typical motherly instincts and experiences, but she had no ordinary child on her lap. This was no ordinary event, no ordinary baby. And so Mary has a lot to ponder, a lot to treasure. She has a lot that has taken place already, and she has a whole lot that's going to take place after this. So let's see if we can follow Mary's lead this evening and do some of our own pondering and treasuring. I have five questions to help us do that. Five questions. Here's number one. What does it mean to ponder in the heart and treasure things up? These rich phrases, what do they really mean? Well, you have to know up front, if you don't already, that the Bible wasn't written originally in English. The Old Testament was mostly written in Hebrew. The New Testament was mostly written in Greek. And thankfully, we have English translations these days. But anyone who knows anything about a second language, anyone who's done any kind of translation work, knows that sometimes the translation of one language can't fully capture all that's happening in the original language. Sometimes this English word doesn't quite capture all that's happening in this Greek word. And so this Greek word for pondering here, what does it mean? It's rich. It means to compare things with things. It means to connect dots. It's to consider those things, evaluate them, meditate upon them. It means mauling things over. It means putting things together. As for that phrase, treasuring things up, In the Greek, it really means to gather up, to collect, to not lose anything, to not forget anything. Literally, it is putting things in safekeeping, like putting items into a box that you don't want to lose and you want to save for something special later on. And thus, that phrase has connotations of cherishing, prizing, which the English actually captures pretty well, treasuring. Now, Mary pondering and treasuring is in contrast to those who merely wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Did you catch that? There's a but at the beginning of verse 19. It says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Wonder is certainly a natural reaction to hearing the shepherds' report of seeing and hearing news from an angel or hearing an angelic choir. They wondered. It was curious. It was bizarre. It was fascinating. It was fantastical. Maybe not true. You see, wonder, this word, later in Luke, it's almost 
always used negatively. Those who wonder at what Jesus did often show quickly after that they don't really believe. They're perhaps impressed. They're perhaps intrigued. They find it curious. That's odd. But sometimes they actually blame his powers on demonic forces right after they wonder about what he just did. So we want to do more tonight than just wonder. We want to just say a little bit more than, huh, that's an interesting story. I wonder if it's real. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in, our, in her heart. And notice the order here. Notice what it says in verse 19. It says, Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. You might have noticed that for the sermon, I've changed the order of those to a more logical order. The passage doesn't mean to communicate the logical order to us, but I think the logical order is there. We'll never treasure anything that we don't first ponder. So there's the logical order there of pondering, which hopefully leads to treasuring. Some marvel and stop there. Some marvel and ponder as well. But what we really need to do is marvel, ponder, and treasure these things up. Secondly, What did Mary ponder and treasure? What was it? Well, of course, it's all that happened thus far in Luke 1 and 2. And and I'd encourage you to go looking for this on your own if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd be glad to give you one here tonight. You can see me afterwards. Or here's here's a cool thing. It's all over the Internet. The Bible is all over the Internet. You can get an app. Of the Bible, you can use it. It can have it read things to you. You can search for key words. It's fascinating. And you could look at Luke 1 and 2 and see what Mary might have been pondering and treasuring. That first encounter with the angel and all that he said. Or comparing notes with cousin Elizabeth and her husband as she spent some time with them because they also were bearing in, their, in Elizabeth's womb, a special child. You might go and look at how Mary might have pondered and treasured what she wrote as a song. We call it the Magnificat at the end of chapter 1. Certainly Mary at this point was pondering and treasuring a whole lot of what we call the Old Testament in our Bibles. The Bible that came before the New Testament, before the arrival of Jesus Mary shows in her Magnificat song that she's very familiar with the Old Testament. And she no doubt is pondering and treasuring, connecting dots, cherishing many things that she grew up hearing as a child, but now is seeing played out in her womb, on her lap, in this trek to Bethlehem. Did you catch that at the beginning of Luke chapter 2? Mary delivered Jesus in Bethlehem, as was prophesied in the Old Testament, that the ruler to come would be born in King David's town, Bethlehem. But how did they get there? Well, because there was 
time for a census, time for taxes. And Caesar Augustus had people report to their original hometowns, bringing Mary and Joseph and the soon-to-be-born Jesus to the very place God foretold he would be born. Of course, there's the arrival of the shepherds. Imagine this. Shepherds, which in those days, these class of people were not thought of highly. They were not very educated. They often hung out with the sheep and thus smelled like the sheep. They weren't considered reliable in a court of law. And that's who is sent. That's who arrives to see the newborn. And then for those people to report that they also encountered an angel and and he's got some additional words to share with you. Here's what he said. Now there's an important news focus in this passage. There's an important content focus to what's going on and what's being passed along. You, You can trace it out with me if you have a Bible open in front of you. Notice that the the angel appeared to the shepherds in verse 10, but he soon spoke to them, and that's important. He said, verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. In verse 11, he told them that the child to be born was the Savior, Christ, the Lord. In verse 14, the praise of God among the angelic choir is content full, glory to God, peace on earth. The angel told the shepherds to go and tell, to relay. And so they resolved to do so in verse 15. Let us go to Bethlehem and see what was made known to us. Do you you hear this? It's what's told. It's what's relayed. And that's what they do when they arrive. Verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them. And then people wondered at what the shepherds told them. In other words, the emphasis here is not on the experience of it all, awesome as that was. Though that might have made for a more lively conversation. You can imagine the shepherds in a different version of this story showing up and saying, hey, have you guys ever seen an angel? Because we did. And you won't believe what it looks like. We saw. We heard them. No, the emphasis is not on the experience. The focus was on the news, the information, the revelation not the experience. The experience is real and it's all good and part of the story, no doubt. It's just not, it's not the central part of the story. The news is we need an interpretation of what was happening, not just a relaying of the experience. We need information. We need news. And news by its very nature is told. It's passed along. It's relayed. The best kind of news to pass along is good news. Good news. That's where we get that word gospel. You might have heard Christians talk about 
the gospel. They believe the gospel. What does that mean? It means the good news. It means this packet of information that actually goes far beyond just the birth of Jesus, though that's the first part of the good news. But it's also that Jesus lived righteously and died sacrificially and was risen victoriously and now reigns on high and will come again and he will make all things right. That is good news. That's what we as Christians have come to believe and put our trust in. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not to vote a certain way necessarily. It's not to be necessarily of this stripe or to live in this part of the world or that part of the world. To be a Christian means to believe in Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the good news And that's what Mary was at least beginning to ponder and treasure. She didn't have the whole story yet. But she began to ponder and treasure this gospel. Third question, and these will go a little faster now. Did this settle it for Mary? Is this the moment at which Mary bought in, believed, and followed her son, as the Savior of the world. Well, she'll continue to marvel. That's in verse 33, as Simeon in the, in the temple looks at Jesus and says certain words. She, she marvels at what was said about her son and marvels at what Simeon says next, that this son will also pierce your soul. He says that to Mary specifically. What's that mean? Well, we read on at the end of chapter 2 when Jesus is now 12 years old at the temple and he gets left behind because he was debating things with the religious leaders. The family overlooked him not being with them and uh, Mary and Joseph had to do a U-turn and come back and get him and they say, what were you up to? And he says, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And it says that Mary treasured that in her heart. Curious, isn't it? And yet, a few decades later, Mother Mary was in nothing less than a crisis of faith. Did you know Mary, at one point, really struggled to believe that her son was whom the angels and the shepherds told her he was. It's in Mark chapter 3, if you want to go hunt it down later. There Jesus has just begun his public ministry, and his popularity is swelling, but opinions about him are varying greatly. Some think he's demonic, some think he's the savior of the world. What does his family think in those days? Mark 3, verse 21. When his family heard this, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And ten verses later, Mary and Jesus' brothers show up at the door where Jesus is dwelling in order to get him to come home. Come on now. You've made enough of a scene. You're embarrassing us. You're acting crazy. 
this has to indicate that there was a time, and who knows how long, when Mary did not believe. This actually points to the veracity of it all. I mean, if you were making this story up, if you were trying to conceive a whole new world religion from this one, born of Mary, do you think that you would have the once-believing, pondering, treasuring mother who penned and sang the Magnificat later come to think that her son was out of his mind. That just points to the truthfulness of it all. And of course, if you think all this is just made up, you need to read the beginning of chapter 1 of Luke. In Luke 1, Luke tells us his intentions in writing this and actually how he assembled all this information. He consulted eyewitnesses, firsthand eyewitnesses, to gather their reports of what happened. And he wrote it down in an orderly account, he says, so that we might have certainty concerning these things. It's a historical book. Included in that is this season of doubt for Mother Mary. Fourth question, where did Mary's faith land then? Where did it end up? Well, we know that she was at the cross with other believing women. In John chapter 19, Jesus hands off care of his mother to his most beloved disciple, John. She's there. She believes. You can imagine what was clicking now that she saw her son upon the cross. A sword will pierce your heart, Mother Mary. Can think of what won't have clicked for her yet until after the resurrection, but then it clicks, it makes sense. And after the cross and resurrection, we find Mary with the other disciples. This is Acts chapter 1, as they're awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. They're assembled, 120 disciples of Jesus gathered for prayer, and Mother Mary is among them. So despite her crisis of faith, she eventually came to fully believe and fully follow Jesus, her son, as this world's savior and son of God. That means that Mary needed a savior just like us. And Mary had to wrestle with faith just like us. For some people, becoming a Christian is fairly quick and easy, relatively painless. The good news is presented to them. They believe it to be true. They can't believe that it's true, but it's true, and they fully embrace it. And it could be 15 minutes. And for others, it can be quite a long process. As you get to know Christians, you'll find that out. Some come to it like this. Some would say, I resisted for a decade, 15 years, 20 years, but then I could resist no longer. And for Mary, Mother Mary, it took a few decades for her to get it. Christian, be patient with those who haven't yet believed. It sometimes takes a few decades 
for some to get it. But Mary got it. And so a fifth question. So how about you? How about you? If you're not yet a Christian, as I said, don't just marvel, but ponder. Ponder. Connect things. Compare things. Ask questions. You should ponder with the Bible in front of you. Let the Bible help you ponder. That's what you want to ponder with. The Bible, the news, the information. Not just the explanation that something happened, but the interpretation of what it all means. You should ponder with a Christian. Perhaps you've got a Christian friend. Perhaps you don't, but you're here tonight. You should ponder with a local church like this one. Like we're doing this evening. That's what we're doing. We're pondering in view of treasuring that we might be worshiping. So ponder. Ponder what Jesus says about himself. Ponder what his enemies said about him. Ponder what the Bible says he came to do. Ponder what the Bible says we need, what the problem is in this world. Ponder the worldview that the Bible lays out. I think a very strong argument for Christianity is that the Bible tells us what's wrong with this world and where our hope can lie and what's still ahead to fill in the gaps. The Bible makes sense of things. The Bible gives explanations of things that we experience all the time. Ponder that. Ponder the cross. Ponder the resurrection. Ponder whatever questions you have and whatever hang-ups you might have. But a warning in pondering and seeking, you may just find him. You may just find him. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia books, he also has a little book on miracles that I was reading last week. And at one point in this book on miracles, C.S. Lewis says that some people pursue an impersonal God. Well and good, he says. He says others pursue a subjective God of beauty and truth and goodness inside our own heads. Fine, he says. Others pursue a formless life force surging through us. He says, then there's the possibility of God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed, the hunter, the king, the husband. That is quite another matter, Lewis says. There comes a moment, he says, when the children who have been playing burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he had found us. Lewis says, so it is a sort of Rubicon. One goes across or not, but if one does, 
There is no manner of security with things like miracles. One must be in for anything. That might happen to you tonight. You might find yourself in this stillness saying, why are these birds so loud? Why can't I get this out of my head? That's pondering. And perhaps tonight, your pondering will blossom into treasuring. And if you're a Christian, then you have certainly more than marveled. You have pondered. You've begun to treasure. This is what we keep doing as Christians. This is how we began to pursue Jesus, and this is how we keep pursuing him. This is the Christian life, pondering and treasuring our Savior. Not just at Christmas, but all year round. Not just the incarnation, but all that he is. Ponder. Charles Spurgeon, the old Baptist preacher, told us to ponder and treasure like this. He said, Mary took the Lord in her arms. Oh, that you may bear him in yours. You can love him, bless him, praise him, study him, ponder him. Comprehend his character. Study the types that has set him forth. Imitate his life. In this way, though, your worship will not blaze forth among the sons of men and scarcely benefit them as some other forms of work, yet it will both benefit you and be acceptable to your Lord. Beloved, remember what you have heard of Christ and what he's done for you. Make your heart the golden cup to hold the rich recollections of his past loves. Make it a pot of manna to preserve the heavenly bread wherein saints have fed in days gone by. Let your memory treasure up everything about Christ which you've either heard or felt or known and let your fond affections hold him fast forevermore. Love him. Pour out that alabaster box of your heart and let all the precious ointment of your affection come streaming onto his feet. If you can't do it with joy, do it with sorrow. Wash his feet with your tears. Wipe them with the hairs of your head and love him. Bless the blessed son, your ever tender friend. Let your intellect be exercised concerning the Lord Jesus. Turn over and over by meditation. Be not as the swallow which touches the brook with her wing, but as the fish which penetrates the lowest wave. Drink deep in the drafts of love. Do not sip and go away, but dwell at the well. Abide with your Lord. Hold him and do not let him go. That is faith. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you and praise you for the peace and tranquility and sweetness and the pursuit of pondering and treasuring our Savior that we might worship him and go tell of him. We thank you that he has come to make all things new. We thank you for all that he is, all that he's done, all that he will do, and we pray in his name. Amen.